Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Listen, God's plan has always been the same for marriage since the beginning, Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is always God's plan. One man with one woman in a lifetime commitment. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Do you ever get tired of waiting on God to answer your prayers? Maybe you've prayed and pled, but sometimes it feels like God just isn't listening. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about the time when Abraham and Sarah grew tired of waiting on God to give them a child. Their fateful decision led to some harsh consequences. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. As children, we found ways to circumvent our parents. They would set the standards in the household, but if we didn't like the rules, we found clever ways to outwit them. Well, those immature patterns are expected from children, but not from adults, especially when it relates to our walk with God. And on today's Pathway to Victory, I'm going to share a shocking story about Abraham and Sarah, who grew tired of waiting on God for his provision. Tragically, they circumvented God's plan with a dangerous choice of their own. This message is part of my brand new teaching series called Walking by Faith. Yes, Abraham is the centerpiece of this study, but more importantly, it's a teaching series that revolves around you and your faith in God. Have you really learned to trust Him? Are you truly willing to wait for God's best? I want you to ponder those questions as we look at Genesis chapter 16 in just a moment. But first, I'll remind you that I've written a brand new book that coincides with this series. It's also called Walking by Faith. And I can tell you that even though I've been preaching and teaching for many years, I was profoundly impacted by the practicality of this important topic. Just like you, I'm learning to walk by faith. David and I will say more about my book and other opportunities following today's message. But right now, let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis as we listen to God's Spirit speak to us. I titled today's message, Two's Company, But Three's a Crowd. Edward Murphy was an engineer who worked with the Air Force in the late 1940s on the rocket sled experiments that were designed to test how human beings would relate to high speeds. In one particular case, uh, the victim, I mean the subject of the test, was hooked up with 16 sensors. And the, each sensor only had two ways it could go and be attached. But at the end of the expensive test, it was determined that all 16 sensors had been placed in the incorrect way. Edward Murphy was so frustrated by it, he developed an axiom which you know as Murphy's Law. Remember it? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. That came from Edward Murphy. Throughout the years, there have been other axioms attributed to Murphy. We don't know if he came up with them or not. But for example, there's Murphy's Law of Belief. It says, tell a man there are 300 billion stars in the universe and he'll believe you. 
Tell him there is wet paint on a bench and he'll have to touch it first. <laughs> or Murphy's Law of Copiers. It says, the legibility of a copy is inversely proportional to its importance. And then I love this one, Murphy's Military Law. Never share a foxhole with somebody braver than you are. <laughs> you have to think about that, but it's true. Now, there's no evidence that Edward Murphy he, he developed any axioms about spiritual matters. But if he had, I'm convinced that at the top of his list would have been this one. Running ahead of God leads to bad decisions and painful consequences. You know who discovered that first of all? Our subject, our friend named Abraham. He's a Ill, living illustration of how bad decisions and painful consequences are always the result of running ahead of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, as we discover why two's company and three's a crowd. Now remember where we are in our study of Abraham. In Genesis 15, God came to Abraham and calmed down his fears about the future and soothed his regrets about the past by saying, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your reward. And he took Abraham out that night and showed him the stars of the sky. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And that great verse, Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed what God said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then God ratified that covenant by that strange ceremony of dividing the animal pieces. It was a way to show two kings who were entering into agreement were committed to keeping their end of the bargain to make that contract uh, valid. But when God told Abraham to cut the animal pieces in two, he put Abraham to sleep and God himself walked through those animal pieces carrying the torch, signifying that God alone was responsible for this unconditional covenant God made with Abraham. It didn't depend upon Abraham. It didn't depend upon anybody. It depended upon the faithfulness of God. Now that should have been enough, but it wasn't. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. We come to Abraham's problem. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Infertility is a common problem, and it's a painful problem to one out of 12 couples in our society. My daughter, Julia, who's a licensed professional counselor, has written a book on infertility called Pray Big Things, talking with couples about how to handle emotionally and physically the problem of infertility. But it's not only a physical and emotional problem, it can be a spiritual problem. It causes people to lose trust in the trustworthiness of God, especially when they feel like they've been given a promise by God. That was the situation with Sarah and Abraham. The reason their infertility was so painful was it seemed to contradict what God had said to them. God had promised to make them parents of a great nation. And yet, he made that promise when Abraham was 60. By the time we get to Genesis 16, Abraham is 85 years of age. And there is no answer to the promise. Whenever our current situation is at odds with God's promise, 
It causes a crisis of faith, and it tempts us to run ahead with God. Whenever our life situation doesn't line up with what we believe is God's promise, there is a crisis of faith that tempts us to run ahead of God. Maybe you're a single adult here or watching this broadcast. You feel like God has promised to give you a mate. He may have even told you who that mate is. The only problem is he hadn't told that person about his promise to you. And so you face a dilemma. Do you try to push your way into a relationship? Do you force the issue or do you wait on God? Or maybe you're in need of a certain item, a high ticket item, maybe like a house. And you know there's a limit to how much debt you can take and not violate the biblical command of unreasonable indebtedness, burdensome debt, and yet no house comes on the market. Do you move ahead and plow ahead anyway and take on that unreasonable debt? Abraham was facing a similar crisis of faith. You know, you would have thought Abraham would have learned his lesson by now, uh, the dangers of running ahead of God. Remember what happened? God had told him when he was 60, I'm going to have a land for you flowing with milk and honey. And finally, after 15 years, Abraham made it to the promised land. The only problem was the milk and honey quit flowing almost as soon as he got there. There was a drought, and so he was tempted to run ahead of God. God had told him to go to Canaan. He didn't tell him to go to Egypt. Abraham went anyway, and the result was a disaster. You would have thought Abraham would have learned his lesson, but he didn't. You know, uh, I think about, Ben was talking about our new campus. I remember when we first started talking about it almost 15 years ago, a widow in our church at that time came up to me and she said, Pastor, let's make sure we don't run ahead of God, but let's also be sure we don't lag behind God. Yes, we're to wait on the Lord, but we never want the Lord waiting on us. When God gives us the go signal, we need to go. When God says no go, we need to not go. How do you know the difference? How does God signal when it's time to move ahead in something? We're gonna talk about this more when we get to Genesis 24 and the story of Isaac and the search for his bride. But let me give you three ways God says go or no go. One is through biblical commands. God will never command you to do something that violates the principles of his word, never. It doesn't matter how lonely you are as a single, God will never have you marry an unbeliever, never. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. God will never lead you into or cause you to stay in an immoral relationship. Biblical commands are one way we know when God wants us to go or not. Secondly, wise counselor. The Bible says, in the abundance of counselor, there is victory. God uses other people and we need to learn how to weigh their advice, whether it is godly or ungodly counsel. A third way God sometimes signals to us to either go or stay is with outward confirmation through a sign. Now, as we'll see in Genesis 24, signs are not always reliable. First of all, if you're the one who determines what the sign is, you can unconsciously formulate a sign that is in keeping with what you want to do anyway. Signs are not good for the determination of God's will, but they are good for the confirmation of God's will. Sometimes God will send us a confirming sign to signal that 
we're going in the right direction. You know, this is a story that has by now become a part of First Baptist Dallas legacy, but it's an important part of our story. Let me just show you how God sometimes uses signs to communicate his will. As I said, when we started talking about this largest modern church construction program in history, we voted as a church to move forward in a fundraising effort to see what God would do, and we couldn't have picked a worse time to do it. It was 2008, 2009. We were in the midst of the greatest recession in American history since the Great Depression. And I began to have a little bit of doubt. Are we supposed to really go forward in this? I'll never forget that the S&P had collapsed. It had hit rock bottom at 666, 666. I remember that number for some reason. You know, today it's almost 4,000. It was 666. And I remember saying to Mark, you know, Mark, I know we're supposed to do this. The church has voted for it. But is God telling us to wait or should we plow ahead anyway? And Mark said, Robert, the only thing we can do is pray about it. So I said, well, let's do that. And we vowed that we would pray about it. The next morning, I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. If you want us to move forward, I need you to give me a sign and I need you to give it today. Now, I know you're not supposed to pray that way. I've preached that you're not supposed to pray that way, but I couldn't do any better. That was the best I could do. And so I got up off my knees and went to the church and I already had a luncheon scheduled that day at the Petroleum Club with two of our members, Andy and Joan Horner, two godly, godly people. And uh, they had just come back from Argentina and we were gonna talk about their mission trip to Argentina. And so we were sitting there talking about Argentina and Andy just out of the blue said, you know, pastor, I know times are rough right now economically, but they're really not that bad. I mean, they're getting $20 for a hot dog out at the ballpark. It must not be that bad. <laughs> and he said, I think we ought to go forward with this program. And I thought to myself, is this the sign, Lord? It's not very much, but I was willing to grab hold of anything I could get. So I said, well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate your confidence. We dismissed, said goodbye. I walked back down to the church, to the Ross parking building, to get in my car to go make a hospital visit. And as I was driving down the street, turning the corner when my phone rang, and it was Andy on the phone. He said, Pastor, I forgot to tell you something. Joan and I want to make the lead gift in our building project. And we have this amount we would like to give as the lead gift. And when they told me what it was, I almost drove into the back of the Majestic Theater. <laughs> it was the largest single gift ever given in the history of First Baptist Church Dallas. It was the largest single gift we know of that has ever been given to a local church. And they gave that gift and that gift encouraged others to give and others to give and others to give. And in the midst of that great recession, we were able to raise $135 million. And I'm telling you, literally churches all over America said, if First Baptist Dallas can do that, we can do that too. God used that. You know, years later, I remember Andy saying to me, I don't know why I called you when I did. We had made that decision six months earlier and I just kept forgetting to tell you. I don't know 
why we told you that day. I said, Andy, I know. God used that as a confirming sign. I got to see Andy a couple of weeks ago. Hadn't seen him in a long time. He's 98 years old. He's happy and still praising God. God be praised for a man like Andy Horner and Joan. And God be praised for a church that knows when it's time to move forward. God blesses sometimes with a confirming sign. Well, Abraham didn't have any of those or Sarah. There was no biblical command to do what he was about to do. In fact, a biblical command not to, but they plowed ahead. Look at Sarah's proposal. So Sarah said to Abram, we've been waiting here for 25 years for a child. It's not working. Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now listen, Sarah was a woman of faith. First Peter 3, 5 says she was a woman of faith. But people of faith can have lapses of faith. And that was true for Sarah. She basically said, we can't depend upon God to do what he promised. We need to help her out. So here's a plan. Now you have to read this and think, Sarah, what is wrong with you that you would come up with an idea to tell your husband to have sex with another woman? That's unbelievable. Have you been reading too many romance novels or visiting internet sites you shouldn't go to? Where would you come up with such an immoral idea? Well, Actually, it was the law of the day. Law number 146 of Hammurabi's code that Abraham had followed and the people in Mesopotamia followed said, if a man has a barren wife, he can have sex with somebody else and the child born can be the heir of that man. It was perfectly legal in man's eyes, but it was immoral in God's eyes. Listen, God's plan has always been the same for marriage since the beginning, Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is always God's plan. One man with one woman in a lifetime commitment. The reason I make a point of that is immediately after Thanksgiving, the Senate of the United States of America is voting on a bill they call it the Respect for Marriage Bill. As one of our members said, it's really a disrespect for marriage bill because it's an attempt by the Congress to codify same-sex marriage, to take that Obergefell ruling from years ago and make it the law of the land. And if that happens, you say, well, what's wrong with respect? Should we have respect for all people? That law is a Trojan horse that will usher in persecution for churches and pastors that refuse to marry same-sex couples. We as a society cannot condone what God has condemned, and God has condemned same-sex marriages. Now, we need to call our senators, we need to call everybody we can and voice our disapproval about what they're to do. God's law doesn't change. It doesn't change with culture. Man's laws does. God's law does not change. Change. And so what she was proposing was totally against God's law. So how did Abraham respond to Sarah's proposal? Men, how would you respond? Your wife comes to you and she says, honey, we're not getting any younger right now. So I want you to take this young, beautiful Egyptian maid of mine with a perfect tan and I want you to have sex with her. 
would you please do that for me, Abraham, honey bunny? Would you have sex with a Sarah for me? How would you respond? Just like Abraham, trying to wipe the smile off of his face, he says, well, honey, if that's what you want, you know, what am I to do? It says, Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. F.B. Meyer, in his biography of Abraham, says, it's always hard to resist temptation when it appeals to natural instinct or to distrusting fear. Sarah's proposal did both. It appealed to Abraham's carnal instinct, but also to his fear that God couldn't keep his promise. But there's another reason this temptation was especially potent. It came from Abraham's wife. Ladies, don't ever underestimate the influence you have over your husbands. Even when they're buried in a newspaper or in a football game on television and you're trying to talk to them and all they can do is grunt, don't forget, they really are listening. You may not think they are. They're listening to you. You have great influence over them for good or for bad. Adam listened to the voice of his wife Eve and the whole race was plunged into destruction. Sarah influenced her husband, he listened. And this is a catastrophe of all catastrophes, as we'll see in a moment. Now, I could make the application, men don't listen to your wives. But I value my life too much to come up with that application. And most importantly, it would be the wrong application. Because there are times we better listen to our wives. Pontius Pilate should have listened to his wife about getting involved with the Jesus trial. It's not don't listen to your wife. We ought to listen to our wives. We ought to listen to our husbands. But we ought to weigh what they say against the truth of God's word. Godly people can say ungodly things. And Jesus experienced that when Peter said, oh, don't go to the cross, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Unfortunately, Abraham did not weigh the advice that Sarah gave to him, and he gave into it. Verse 3 says, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, that means he was 85, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. We need to hit the pause button at this point please leave a bookmark in your Bible at Genesis chapter 16 because we're going to pick up right here on tomorrow's edition of Pathway to Victory. Maybe you've been taking your cues from your husband or wife. Maybe you rely on a mentor or a friend to help you make big decisions. In this brand new teaching series, my goal is to show you a better way, God's way. No one is more qualified to give you better direction than Him. And yet, many of us find God to be mysterious. We lack the tools for connecting with Him. In my brand new book, Walking by Faith, I show you what it truly means to engage with God. And I want to send a copy to your home. My book, again, is titled Walking by Faith, like this teaching series. And in this volume, I attempt to demystify your relationship with God. And I do that by showing you the relationship Abraham enjoyed with his Lord. Ask for my book, Walking by Faith. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. We receive your generous gift regardless of the size as a sacred trust. 
By that I mean we steward your gift very carefully. Every dollar you give to Pathway to Victory is channeled directly into providing this daily Bible teaching program so that listeners all across our country and around the world discover how to walk with God just as you have. Thank you so much for your continued generosity and faithfulness. David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request the brand new book, Walking by Faith, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call us at 866-999-2965, or you could visit our website at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Walking by Faith teaching series. Plus, we'll send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could write to us if you'd like, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us next time for part two of the message, Two's Company, But Three's a Crowd. That's Thursday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. The Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffress set sail from Vancouver, British Columbia on June 15, 2024. Join me along with musical artists Rebecca St. James and Michael O'Brien and comedian Dennis Swamberg for a vacation you'll never forget. I promise you will come back spiritually, physically, and emotionally refreshed. Book your spot on the seven-day Pathway to Victory cruise to Alaska at ptv.org.